Welcome to BCM Reviews. I'm your host, Brian, and today I'm being joined by a returning guest, Ichen. How are you, man? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. How are we doing today? Uh, we're doing really good. We're doing really good. Um, so today we are doing a revisited series on the Batman cinematic legacy. So, you know, one of the things that I've really noticed about, especially with Spider-Man No Way Home, is that Spider-Man No Way Home has captured a long cinematic legacy of sorts for the web crawler, right? So I felt that with the Batman coming up pretty soon, although that we're not going to see, you know, all three Batman on the yeah, big maybe for, together. Maybe, maybe for Flashpoint, you know? Maybe, yeah, maybe for the Flash, maybe, but that's a whole other thing. But I just wanted to really focus on how we come to this point, you know, where right now we have a new Batman and Robert Pattinson and how for almost after about 30 years, we've had Batman films and see how it sort of relates to what we're going to see on March 4th. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, that's pretty much how it's going to be. So right now this, um, we are doing Batman 89. We are going to be doing Batman Returns. Uh, we're going to do Batman Forever, and we're going to do Batman and Robin. And next month, we're going to do the Dark Knight trilogy, and we're also going to be talk. We'll also be discussing uh, Ben Affleck's Batman, and hopefully, mm-hmm. we'll have it all wrapped up before March fourth. Yeah, hopefully. Oh, right in time. Yeah. So, before we get started, um, let's talk. We're going to start with, of course, Batman and I. But I'm going to ask you this question, Hn. Um, do you when when is what is your earliest memory of Batman eighty nine? Oh, like the first time you you seen you saw it, um, I think I saw it with my parents when I was really young. But I think like the remembering it, I used I watched it with a friend in like early high school, and we would binge movies in her basement. Mm. And yeah, I think I remember Batman Forever, uh, not Batman Forever. Um, um, uh, I remember watching Batman Returns on mm. like TV on like. <laughs> Uh, on cable mm. um and then i, I don't I'm, I'm pretty sure i might have watched batman 89 like afterwards all right all right well for for me um i remember watching this movie i think right after being exposed to batman the animated series and i remember uh this was i believe during the weekend and it was that night and it played on the family channel late in late hours, I believe around 9 p.m. or something like that. And I remember my sisters telling me, hey, there's a Batman movie playing right now. And I was like, ooh, you know, I'm excited. I want to see it. And, you know, uh, it was supposed to be my bedtime, but my sisters talked to my mom say, <laughs> hey, can you, you know, let him watch this movie? And, they be, and you know, she agreed. And I remember How old seeing, were you then? I believe I was at least five or six at the time. That must have been like traumatizing. At least I mean, a little bit, a little bit, but not so much. It, uh, I mean, it wasn't that traumatizing when I look back at it now. I just remember being in awe by seeing a live action version of Batman. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I seen the animated series, and that, of course, was mature in itself. But if you see it in live action, which is pretty much very different but overall it's very um 
it's uh you're just in awe because you know you're a fan and, and you know and you really enjoy it yeah. so um so before we get into this film I want to do a little preface and do a little history on this film and I think the history of it is very interesting so it all starts with a man by the name of Michael Usland, who owns the film rights to Batman. So he owns the film rights. I believe he owns the TV rights. He's been involved with, of course, all four Batman movies that we're about to discuss. Uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, the new Batman movie coming up pretty soon. You know, that's to be in. <laughs> a lot of the animated Batman stuff and all that stuff. And he has said that the greatest people that he ever got a chance to work with was Tim Burton, Christopher Nolan, and Bruce Tim, who have all given us a great version of Batman. And I get a feeling maybe Matt Reeves might get in, might get on that list. So, hope so. let's hope so. And um so he tells a story about how it was sometime during the late 70s. He's a really big Batman fan. Um, I remember he even said that he taught the first credited course on comic books in his hometown in, in uh, his hometown university or something. <laughs> and uh, he said that he went to the um, to the president of DC Comics at the time, sometime during the late 70s and said, hey, I am looking to purchase the rights to Batman. And he basically told him, are you crazy? Nobody, nobody wants to see a Batman film. You know, nobody has cared about Batman since the Adam West show way back when. And at the time, when you think about it, is that the only bankable superhero was Superman with the Richard Donner, Christopher Reeve Superman. Yep. And, you know, through his perseverance and through him, you know, his own means managed to purchase the rights. And, uh, you know, has spent almost 10 years, you know, going st through multiple studios, talking to multiple directors in order to get this project greenlit. And ultimately sometime during the mid, uh, late uh, uh, 80s, yep. he managed to get uh, somebody, meet some, some people over at Warner Brothers who would be interested in making a Batman movie because basically the Superman franchise had been run to the ground with Superman 3 and Superman 4. <laughs> so Warner Brothers were basically saying, okay, let's try this Batman thing and see how that works out. And uh, Michael Uslan meets, of course, uh, Tim Burton, I believe in 1986, and says, and basically Tim Burton comes from a film called uh, Pee-wee Herman and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, you might have heard of it. <laughs> yeah, Pee-wee Herman, Beetlejuice, all those films. Yeah. And he had, and Michael assumed that by virtue, maybe Tim Burton might know a thing or two about comics because, you know, Tim Burton comes from the world of animation. And if you know Tim Burton's style, it's very, um, weird. you know, weird. <laughs> weird whimsical, but also, yeah. Dark yeah, a little bit dark and, and, and all that stuff. So he saw that by virtue, he might know a thing or two about comics. He didn't. So he said to himself, okay, I need to really instruct this man about Batman. Not, you know, not all the, um, all the stuff about the Adam West stuff, just really give him as much information as possible. So he gave him a lot of his old Batman comics, like the first appearance of Catwoman, Joker and Robin. 
a lot of the early stuff and really give him like uh you know as much information as as possible and um pretty much tim burton absorbing as much as he could of batman thought to himself okay i kind of get what we're trying to go for here and uh you know we'll try to make it work so um you know funny enough um, I believe Ivor Reitman was originally uh, pitched to, uh, originally was supposed to direct Batman, but also, but you know, that never went to uh, fruition because I think he was so busy with Ghostbusters. Um, and I originally, I heard that Bill Murray was cat, was originally considered for Batman. <laughs> but, you know, I'm happy that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think, I think he did such a great job. Yeah. So I think Bill Murray might've been okay in some contexts, but like as Bruce Wayne, in theory, it should be fine, but I'm, I'm, I can't picture him as Batman. I agree. Um, so let's get into some the casting, and this is where things get really interesting. Um, so the guy who owns the film, Michael Euston, said that he only saw Jack Nicholson playing the Joker, and that was it. Which, when you think about it, is a no-brainer. Right. Because, it, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The Shining, yeah. all the movies that he's been in, it's a no-brainer. So having him play the clown prince of crime is, uh, you know, basically something destined for him. And yeah. as uh, we move on to a few years later, well, not a few years, I mean, as we as the casting process, you know, starts to move and starting to get traction people are wondering who is going to play the bat the batman and the and the news come out that it's going to be michael keaton so of course this is a time before social media mm -hmm. when people were actually writing uh, letters to the studio and basically saying hey uh we don't want this guy as batman <laughs> And all that type of stuff, you know, and, 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 all, and all that. And the, and Michael Euston was basically, uh, was on that same camp and had that same mindset. And basically said that, you know, I've been working almost 10 years trying to get this, the first dark and serious Batman movie yeah. onto the big screen. And to have that all go down by some, by a comedian kind of really put his spirits down but Tim Burton basically talked to him and said hey can we agree that if I were to if we were to put an unknown actor against Jack Nicholson you know yeah. Jack Nicholson will like wipe the floor with them yeah <laughs> basically and he agreed and he said that Michael Keane's the comedian I said no he's a very serious actor he showed him a rough cut of a film that he was in called um clean and sober and he was and he was shown that okay this guy is a real like serious actor but the thing was that Michael Keaton's like 5'8 he has a receding hairline he doesn't have like the physical stature to play Batman and he doesn't have the square jaw Tim told him that okay a, a square jaw doesn't make a good Batman it's basically the humanity that he manages to to convey you know in order to prove that okay that he's batman and he told them something that was very interesting and he said that um 
the, in order to make this dark, the first ever dark and serious superhero movie, this film cannot be about Batman. It has to be about Bruce Wayne. In order to convince and, and yeah, ground it, I guess. Into ground it in order to convince the audience of okay, how can a man dress up as a bat to fight Gotham's criminals? You know what I mean? And if and you also take into consideration that if you got a serious actor, you might have gotten unintentional laughs. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what um, a major thing and all that type of stuff. Um, and he manages to convince him. He told him, hey, listen, hair and makeup can fix his hairline. Uh, I can build musculature around the suit in order to give him like a, a strong physique and all that stuff. And that's basically it. And as you watch that film, you see that Michael Keaton understood the assignment yeah. and all that type of stuff. So, yeah, I think the fact that he's, you know, I guess wasn't a typically like super serious actor lends him a lot of charisma when he plays like Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. He's very, you know, he has a, he has a very charming smile. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I agree. I, I, I really, you know, at first as I began to rewatch it, I start, I started to tell myself that I prefer his Batman more than his Bruce Wayne. But after like giving it more thought to it and rewatching it again, I kind of like his Bruce Wayne even more. Because he's very much like, um, I mean, he's not comfortable fully in his Bruce Wayne persona, but you can tell that he still has that rich mindset, like that whole rich, um, you know, flashing his money around, like, like yeah. uh, you know, all, all that type of stuff, you know, and I, and I really enjoyed that about Michael Keane. So I, I know that I kind of uh, bored you with that story, but uh, what oh, do you no. think of that overall? <laughs> yeah. I- I think that's a really interesting origin story. I, I mean, thank God that it happened the way it did, because you know, obviously, <laughs> that'd be a great success, and it really paved the way for what came afterwards. Yes, um, it did. Yeah. No, I, I I found it really interesting. I didn't I didn't realize that you know the person behind it was such a big fan. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it, it's great. Yeah, it's it's really good. So right now we're gonna actually uh, talk about the movie itself. Um, All right. So I think that one of the main things that I really enjoy about this movie is uh, Danny Hoffman's score. It's iconic. Iconic. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, I think that as you listen to it, it really screams Batman through and through. And, you know, Danny Elfman, you know, of course, did this, uh, did Batman. He did Spider-Man. There's one thing that I've also noticed that was, which is very interesting is that Danny Elfman has done the score for both Batman and uh, Spider-Man. Hans Zimmer yeah. has done the Dark Knight trilogy and Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> Michael Giacchino has done uh, Homecoming, Far From Home, and No Way Home. And now he's doing the Batman. So it's very interesting how these <laughs> two franchises... It's almost a package deal. Almost a package deal. No, if you do a Spider-Man movie, you're going to do a Batman movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's fair. I think that I think that uh, the score, at least for for, for the the eighty nine movie, I think it has that like a great balance of like it has a very kind of somber tone, yeah, tone but enough very, whimsy yeah. to be like, yes, this is still a comic book. This is still like a a world we're losing ourselves into. Yeah, I, I agree. It's very comic booky and it's very um, 
it's like a march you know what i mean and stuff yeah. like that you know and, and i really enjoyed that score and, and all that stuff um i would say michael Keane's batman i i really enjoyed his portrayal of batman especially while he was in that suit um you know as we all know he wasn't able to turn his neck but <laughs> i think that for what he was able to do he really showed a lot of um a lot of depth you know what i mean like there were times when he wasn't really saying much but yeah. you could feel like all the things that are going inside his head you know what i'm saying in a way like the the fact that he can't move his neck sometimes gives him like the sense of like more stoicism like he's yeah. like a little bit more like rigid in his yeah, posture, but it also makes him look more like rigid in his morals like he's very something somebody who he almost looks uptight which fits as batman yeah right versus when he's bruce wine when he's very like loose and flowy mm. i agree um you also have of course the bat cave um i really enjoyed the production design uh, for this movie uh which was designed by i believe anton first and the original uh the like the beginning of the of the script basically described gotham city as imagine if hell had erupted from the earth and just kept growing and growing. <laughs> and Anton first was kind of perplexed. was like, okay, what does that mean? And Tim Byrne basically said, okay, imagine New York city without any zoning. And he, all right. He said himself, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do my research. And he basically looked at old like German expressionism and basically the look of Gotham city and, and this Batman movie specifically kind of gave the, um, the blueprint of what Gotham City would look like in future mediums, such as later Batman movies, the video games, Batman the animated series, and all that type of stuff. Yeah, the the Gotham in this is very oppressive in its mm -hmm. darkness, which you know obviously is very fitting. It feels cramped. It feels yeah, narrow. I agree. It feels um, like you're always in a back street. Yeah, I, I agree. I would say that the only con would be during the daytime, where you could tell that this was obviously filmed like on a set like you know yeah. what i mean like on the back lot of warner brothers and, and stuff like that um i'd also say that i really like i really enjoy the batmobile in this one um yeah. it's very iconic um you know of course we've had a lot of like you know interesting takes on the batmobile of course we have the uh the tumbler in the in the dark knight trilogy we have as i would call the murder mobile in bvs uh, <laughs> We have now the muscle car look, which I'm really enjoying uh, for yeah. the Batman. And this Batmobile really feels much like in the same vein as uh, the James Bond Aston Martin uh, DB5. Yeah, I think I think this cuts a good balance. Like it's definitely more whimsical than the ones we have now or the ones we've had since. But it's also, you know, it, it's, it's still dark and serious and sleek enough that it seems mm -hmm. like a real car. So it kind of cuts the fine line between like almost the campiness of the Adam West and the more dark and, and you know, modern uh, takes that'll follow it. Mm. So let's talk about Jack Nicholson's Joker. Mwah. And I'll have to say this. Um, I think that due to us getting a lot of Jokers nowadays, I feel that Jack Nicholson's uh, Jack Nicholson version is doesn't really get talked about much, much often. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, of course, Jack Nicholson, who is a titan, you know, of an actor, you know what I mean? Yeah. Really brought a lot of like, 
whimsical, dark, serious, scary, at times, you know, uh, flavor to it. Um, like that one scene when um, he is getting surgery and the surgeon basically tells him that there was nothing I could do. And he basically looks himself, looks at himself at a mirror in a mirror and he just descends into madness. And it's like, this is the Joker. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the, um, the Joker, like Heath Ledger's Joker is unpredictable and that kind of mm-hmm. makes him uneasy. But mm-hmm. something about Jack Nicholson is like, despite, you know, oh, this guy's crazy. He's so menacing. He's so threatening. Yeah, I agree. Know? Like that scene when he introduces himself to uh, against the, uh, his mo- the mob boss and he says you can call me joker and as you can see i'm a lot happier <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i i really enjoyed that there's so much about his performance that i enjoyed though he's uh, also like very suave yeah you know for a madman yeah i agree i i would say that there were times when it felt a little too wacky at times yeah. like you know the acid squirting flower the long revolver, which he uses as an anti-aircraft gun. You know what I mean? Like, you know, certain things like that. Uh, the Joey Buzzer. I mean, it, it felt almost like a more darker, mature version of the uh, Adam West Joker. You know, the Cesar yeah, the, Romero. The no Rom- yeah, Cesar Romero. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. To- this yeah. movie still has that camp in it. Um, yeah. I think it's, it strikes a nice balance. I think this movie could have only, you know, happened in the late 80s. Of course. Because, you know, and it's very, you can very much see that it's still, you know, a Tim Burton movie. Absolutely. But it still walks that fine line between, you know, darkness and the silly, and it does it so well. Absolutely. Um, so, of course, we've also already discussed the Gotham City, but I, I just want to really reiterate this because I felt that, I mean... You know, as much as I love the Nolan films, I just do feel that a lot of the aura and the essence of what makes Gotham City, Gotham City, has kind of dwindled over the years as yeah, we get I, more modern takes of Batman. I think the Gotham in the Nolan films, it just feels like New York to me. And well, like they actually filmed in Chicago, so a lot of it has like Chicago feel to it. Uh, I did, ag- I do agree that. Um, the Narrows felt very Gotham-esque because right. Nolan said that he was very much inspired by Blade Runner in terms of the look and feel of it. Which fits. Yeah. Which fits very well. Um, I, I would say that I just prefer this version of Gotham City, although it does feel almost a little too extra at times. And I would agree that I do enjoy a mix of realism and that hyper-reality that Gotham City has, uh, which I do feel that we're going to be getting with the Batman, especially in the the way that Gotham City looks in that movie, which I'm yeah. very much excited to see. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. I, I do, I have to say, I, I would have to say that Tim Burton is really brought Gotham City to life, even though he was the first director to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think he said he said the bar right into what everybody else, uh, you know, everybody else kind of had to follow up with. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. so Harvey Dent, I think that this was um, used to um, set up set up world building. Yeah. So um, Harvey Dent in this one is played by Billy D. Williams, who 
you know, when you think about it, um, Billy D. Williams played Lando Calrissian in Empire Strikes Back, who plays a two-faced individual. <laughs> and it's ironic that, you know, I'm sure that Tim Burton may, may have looked at Star Wars and like, you know who would play a great two-face? Lando Calrissian. <laughs> And man, it's, a shame we, it's a shame we didn't get to see it. Yeah, but you know what's interesting is that there is now a comic book continuity based on Batman 89 that yeah. shows Billy D. William and Robin, who was supposed to be played by a comedian, um, Marlon Wayans, stuff like that. But unfortunately, that never happened. But the thing was, was that there, it was supposed to be a setup to the third film. You know what I mean? Right. Um. I would say that I really enjoy the bat suit, although that it's pretty stiff and that, you know, he can't, uh, Michael King c- couldn't really move on it. I do enjoy the uh, all black look, um, the yellow symbol, you know, the one that I'm wearing right now. Um, yeah. the, um, the, the, you know, I don't know, just, just the look and feel of it. I mean, although that it's very impractical, I like how all the gadgets, um, the cape, it's somewhat similar to um, Neil Adams to a certain extent with like the long ears. Um, I do remember hearing a story about how the ears were so long that when the Batmobile doors would shut, the ears would get caught in it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It happened. And yeah, and you could say, and I really enjoy this suit over the one that we see in um, Batman Returns, which is a bit more refined. I kind of like the leathery feel to it. It makes it look like he's wearing an actual bat skin, which That's gives fair. him a bit more of a creepier look. You know what I mean? And also, yeah. uh, I, you know, those are things that I really enjoy. Um, there's a character by the name of uh, Knox, or that I would like to call him the uh, 99 cent store version of uh, Bill Murray. <laughs> and uh, he's, um, he's basically a reporter who's kind of like, I think that originally... I get a lot of Jack Ryder vibes from him. Yeah, he's supposed and, to be the the yeah the critical kind of the, yeah. the skeptic. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I really d- dug that character. I mean, he was basically used for like comedic uh, for humor and stuff like that, which I think he works very well. Um, and he he has a like a, a hateable face. Yeah, I agree. You know, like <laughs> nobody wanted to talk to him uh, and all that type of stuff. Uh, so there is the actor who plays Alfred in this movie, Michael Goff, I think if that's his name, which I have to say, he doesn't really get much t- credit for his time as Alfred. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I know that the, as the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the series uh, progresses, he gets campier and campier and, you know, at times you can get lost in it. But yeah. I do feel that he plays a really good Alfred in, in these movies. And he stuck around for, for the ride, too. <laughs> yeah, I know? mean, at the end of the day, it was all about the money. So, you know, yeah, I can't blame him for that. But I, I really think he brought a level of warmth and care to towards the character of Alfred. Yeah, and he, I de- think he definitely gives off the kindly old man vibes. Kindly old man. And as, of course, you know, the mythology of Alfred continues alongside with Batman. We have a bit more of a rougher, you know, Alfred, you know, like, you know, he was in... The British Special Forces and all that yeah. stuff, and you can really see that he's a bit more hardened and, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, so I don't think he, he necessarily gives 
love the heart vibe, but I could I could picture him having been a spy, you know? Yeah, I agree. He, he's well composed and he, 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 you know, he could have been a James Bond at one, once upon a time. Yeah, I, I agree. Could picture it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so let you want to talk about what, what are your mem- your favorite scenes from this movie? Um, I mean, to me, honestly, Joker stole the show. <laughs> Every yeah, time I agree. He's on screen his first few times, and I think that the choice to tie him so intricately to Batman's like origin mm. was an interesting one. It made him, you know, may, maybe made Batman a little bit more approachable. But I I love the, the scenes that they shared together. You know, the um, his iconic line with dancing in the pale moonlight. Yeah. I agree. Um, I would say that any scene related to Batman, I like the um, the um, you know uh, Batman taking Vicky Vale to the Batcave, and while they're driving in the Batmobile, um, there's the uh, descent into mystery scene that's playing through it, which is very like creepy, and, and it gives off a really good creepy vibe. And I like the uh, the drive there, and, and it's really interesting. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot that I really enjoy out of this movie. I, I just can't really name one uh, one thing like, in particular, but yeah, it, pretty much this whole film is enjoyable. I really enjoyed the ending where they allowed up the bat signal and everything. So I, I really think that was great. Um, so let's talk about the bad. The bad is um, Commissioner Gordon in this movie, as I would like <laughs> to call him the worst cop in Gotham. <laughs> Where I don't know, I mean, as we all know, there's a sense of camaraderie between Jim Gordon and Batman, as we all know from the comics. But I don't see any of that in this movie. Yeah, it's almost, he's almost played off as like a little bit more incompetent to make the Batman seem better by comparison. I agree. Um, You know, that's, uh, he, he seems very much like, pretty I don't know stupid and useless and I just don't really see like I don't know I just don't see that camaraderie that we all know from the comics and you and I can't really see how you expect me to believe that he's going to be a Batman Batman's most like useful ally you know what I mean yeah closest and most trusted ally yeah uh let's see um I will admit I wasn't a fan of the I, I'm not a fan of this generation of bat suits <laughs> I know that you you said you liked it earlier, and I do agree that the the first one was the best. But I, you know, I still wish they were, were a little bit more movable. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I think that they they sh- it should be a bit more movable. I, I concur with that statement. But for what it looked like, it looked pretty good. I mean, I understand that's very impractical. And as we move into the Dark Knight trilogy, where they utilize a bit more of a practicality to them and where the suit kind of has a bit more of a practical, but, you know, but next month we're going to get to that pretty soon. So we're going to have a a neat discussion on those movies. Um, So another bad is Jack Napier. Um, I don't think the Joker should ever have a real name or an origin as a mobster or anything like that. I mean, I understand what they were trying to go for, but I mean, if anything, I think they should have went with, um, Jack Napier is an alias or anything like that, or not even mention his real name at all. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that, you know, obviously it was a misstep, but I think at the time it probably felt like they needed to make him more, I don't want to say like, like approachable, 
I'm, I'm, I'm sure that that was a part of the mentality is like, you know, having yeah, a, a mysterious I, I, killer without a backstory would have been I agree. Un uncommon. Um, I think that at the time, because we, you know, nerd culture basically dictates how these movies should be like, you know what I mean? And nowadays, yeah. and where this, where it was back then, where they couldn't really care anything much about comics or anything like that, um, they thought to themselves, hey, it wouldn't hurt to have a Joker origin story. But one thing I do have to appreciate is that they did um, borrow a few elements from the killing joke. Right. Like that scene where Joker's hand rises up from, uh, from like the acid and, you know, have the Joker cards like in the water and stuff like that. That's something post out of comic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, how do you feel about Vicky Vale in this movie? I think she's okay. I, I feel like a lot of the, 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 the Batman women are usually, you know, outside of the villains, <laughs> which is a bit of a shame to say. Uh, are usually just like damsels in the stress. I don't think she yeah, feels especially different. She's not I agree. particularly dislikable, but she also mm -hmm. doesn't bring all that much, mm. which, you know, is a bit of a shame. Yeah, I, I concur. Um, I, I do feel that I didn't like her constant screaming toward like everything and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I just uh, I, I just didn't really like, you know, that character because Vicky Vale is, has been, at least in my mind, Batman's Lois Lane to yeah. a certain extent and hence why she's not as popular as she is now because you know Batman has like other love interests like I think are more, and, and yeah. stuff like that I th yeah they're more interesting sometimes I think what makes Vicky Vale fun or interesting is that she's attached to the Bruce Wayne persona not so much the Batman one mm. right Versus all the other his other love interests, which are usually the opposite. Mm. But I think okay. I think in, yeah I, I I just don't think we really see that in this in this interpretation. She just ends up being you know the damsel in distress. Mm. I agree. Um, Batman killing. <laughs> now I'll say this: in the first half of the movie, he doesn't kill. The moment he noticed, he he remembered that. That he he know he know the moment he knows that Joker killed his parents, whole one eighty. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And as <laughs> he much, takes the gloves off metaphorically. He take, yeah, he he takes the gloves off, and as much as we give crap to Snyder and and Affleck, do we should we take that stuff? Should we give Keaton and? burden those same types of criticisms i think i think it's it's a harder to justify the uh the snyder's violence because this was the first real cinematic version of a darker batman mm. right where they're straying from the from the the adam west kind of campiness so mm. i think the book the rule book wasn't like written in, mm. in a sense i think his identity and the fact that he doesn't kill has become so much more integral to the character since then yeah because in the comics when he first showed up right he would he was a killer you yeah know? i agree he, like in the he original, used a gun yeah in the original bob kane and bill finger he would have a gun he would even say it i will kill you These yeah. were words that came out of his mouth and stuff like that and, and I th yeah i think since then it's become like you know, set in stone that Batman doesn't kill, and that's one of his roles, and it's been a big part of his characterization in the comics and in other media. So it I feels agree. weird to like go back, but at this time, you know, since this was just starting out, it wasn't so much like 
set in stone like it is now. Mm, I agree. I I have to uh, really concur with that that statement. Um, you know, but we're we are going to get into Ben Affleck and stuff like that, and we're going to have a really interesting conversation about those. Um, the bad that I would give this movie, the final one, would be that it is a love triangle movie. <laughs> that you know, Joker is in love with. Uh, Vicky Vale and Batman's in love with Vicky Vale and you have this really weird like love triangle for some reason and yeah. I think I that like... this is a byproduct of the 80s me too and all that stuff um you know 80s cinema was very much like guy gets girl and goes through obstacles and all these type of things and you know it, it basically like you know, it's a byproduct of its time, and I and I really think that when you actually like break it down, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, because it, it feels out of place a lot of times. Like Jack or, or Doker has so many other motivations going on, and yeah. then it it kind of feels like forced in to give him something to do on screen without Batman around, or to mm. force him and Batman to confront each other. Like you know, he has the whole revenge story, and you know his master plan. Uh, and taking over the city. I, I didn't think he needed the whole I'm obsessed with this this random reporter. Yeah, I uh, agree. I, I don't aspect. really think that that should have been like sorry, I don't think that should have been like the main like priority or anything like that or of the story, like you know, this whole like love triangle thing. Um, how do you feel about Jack Nicholson's look as the Joker, like before we close off? I I think it's suitably creepy. It's not too gory, right? Yeah, but, I, I, but it's really there's something really unsettling about the way that you know the like the, the forced the, the forced smile. Yeah, the forced yeah. smile. Yeah, I agree. I think the the scenes where he he does have makeup on are a little bit dark. Yeah, I agree. I really like in the museum. That. Like, how, how, I mean, I'll ask you this: How do you feel about jo the Joker having fallen in a in a uh, you know falling in like a chemical plant versus Joker who just basically puts makeup on? Uh, I prefer the I, I like the chemical plant story, I, but I also I, don't think too. that is I don't think it's necessary all the time. Yeah, but I, I think, agree. I think Joker being a tragic character adds something to him that he's mm -hmm. so irredeemable. But there was you know there might have been you know at least if we take like, if we take a, a different approach where it's not we don't necessarily know he was a mobster and, and a bad person beforehand. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I always felt that you know I always like enjoyed that story a bit more. And how it's sort of related to Batman with, you know, in the killing joke and everything like that. And how, yeah, in and a I think way, in the killing joke, it's done like, it's done a bit better because he's so tragic. Yeah. You know, you just feel for him, but now he's like this inhuman monster. Yeah, I agree. Inhuman. That, that's, that's what I really enjoy that, you know, one of the things about us as human, human beings is that we always judge each other for how we look, right? Yep. And that given how, how the Joker looks, he can't be accepted as a person that can condone to society standards, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, yeah. you know, because of that, he quote unquote lashes out and does the thing that he does because he's kind of like, you know, fuck the norm, you know what I mean? Yeah, he, he, I'm never, I'm not going to fit in again. So or I be say, able I, to go back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I, I personally prefer that that look. Um, I don't mind the random guy who just puts face makeup on, but I just feel that 
I think Joker feels very out of this world in a certain sense. Where yeah, he feels he, a little bit monstrous. Made, yeah, yeah, and I feel yeah. that the um, acid storyline kind of really makes it more inhumane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the legacy of this movie. Um, I remember in 2019, this was, I believe, either in April or in June or something like that. Yeah, this was in June. This was the 30th anniversary of Batman 89. And I remember seeing like all these videos and photos of like Batmania, as they called it, right? Because it's 89. It's a perfect movie to close off the decade. And you have like Batmania everywhere, like people wearing Batman shirts, people dressing up as the Joker and all that type of stuff. And keep in mind that this is in 2019 where we have a type of superhero mania with Avengers Endgame, right? Yeah. And for me, I'm kind of like taken back to really think that, hey, way back when, you know, there was such a thing as Batmania. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I mean, the fact that Batman's still so popular nowadays. Yeah. You, know, you, you can see there's still some of that Batmania around. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, and I, and I also feel that it's very interesting that as we approach you know the the batman coming up pretty soon is um you know because you have a lot of people who, who think and say stuff like you know the batman franchise needs to be retired and all that type of stuff and you know i am however wondering how will that thing really like you know how will it stay how will it stick you know what i mean and that will be a very interesting uh, thing to see um i would yeah, i think I think mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how Matt Reeves kind of differentiates himself because already he's drawing a lot of comparison. Yeah, I agree. The Dark Knight and to, you know, so I think, you know, I think Batman's an interesting enough character. There's enough to take. I, I agree. I, I, I do feel that, you know, you know, one of the things that a lot of these, uh, uh, like the three, um, like one of the two geniuses that Michael Euston spoke about was uh, Tim Burton and Christopher Nolan, how both directors had the same mission, which was to restore Batman's true dark dignity to the big screen. Right. And both directors, uh, you know, successfully did that in their own right. So I think that the hurdle that Matt Reeves has to do is how, all right, I need to make Batman not boring, you know what I mean? Like make it an interesting IP that it is, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's the... Um, yeah, a hurdle I think from, that he will have to overcome. Oh yeah, I think that so far already some of the decisions he's making are, are I think, like are good signs to me. Like making a detective Batman movie. Yeah, I I think I think that especially nowadays with like I want to say like with the political climate, I think that there's been a lot of discourse on on the morality of Batman, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, and I think that it seems like his movie's not shying away from that. Mm-hmm. You know that you know this 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 billionaire you know, has issues, right? Like he's wearing a cape. And I, th- I think the more grounded take, even more so than the Nolan one, I think with, with, with keeping some of that comic book flair, but it's all, it's like more, I don't know, the, the characters mo- and their motivations and their actions are a little bit more grounded. Mm. I think could be really cool. Mm, I, I agree. Uh, I, I agree. Um, I would say that the Batman, in terms of legacy, the, Bat- the Batman movie, an 89 movie, um, establishes Batman as a dark character, as, as we've discussed. I think that it influences a lot of 
comic book movies. Um, you know, as I rewatch this movie, I see a lot of comparison with Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Would you agree? Yeah, in, yeah I think so. In, in terms of the look and feel of it, in terms of keeping it to a certain extent grounded, but still keep that fantastical em- elements that we love and know from the comics. Yeah, and I also, I'm sure I'm sure that Sam Raimi took a bunch of inspiration from this, you know. <laughs> yeah, I agree, and it also set a um, it set a blueprint for future Batman movies and future movies that sort of share that DNA. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I think I think it, it, um, the the Shadows gas is almost inescapable at this point. I don't mm. think there's there's ever going to be uh, a, a Batman interpretation who's not going to take some inspiration from it either directly or indirectly um and i think that's a good thing because it it did such a great job obviously some of the you know some of the elements are feel a bit outdated now but i think that in in terms of tone and the vibe and the atmosphere and i think you know it's uh it's so important and it did it so well yeah i agree um All right, let's talk about uh, Batman Returns. Now, I'm going to ask you this. Do you think that this film is too dark? Um, I don't know that it's too dark from a comic book's point of view, but it was definitely, it was definitely pretty grim. Yeah, I agree. It's very grim. Um, I would say that it had the very grim uh, beginning. Like you, we enter into the Cobblepot uh, household, the, the mansion. And, you know, Mrs. Cobblepot gives birth to the penguin, who is a cross-penguin, cross-man hybrid. (laughs) And they basically don't want the kid, and they throw him into a a bridge, and then the kid basically ends up (laughs) getting raised by penguins and stuff like that, which is so silly. (laughs) It's so silly. (laughs) Because here's the thing. With the success of uh, Batman 89, it made a lot of money. So Warner Brothers were basically like, okay, we are going to give you carte blanche to do whatever you want. And I feel, and, you know, one of the things that the criticism that this film has is that it's more of a Tim Burton movie than it is a Batman movie. Would you agree? Yeah. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Uh... But... Overall, there's a lot of good stuff that I enjoy about this movie, to be honest with I, you. Um, I think it matches the tone of the of the original a lot better than, you know, the ones that will come after it. Yeah. Right? But, yeah, it definitely has some some <laughs> some, some wacky stuff going on. Mm. Uh, I would say that one of the things that I enjoy about it is that this, this film feels more like a Bruce Wayne-type movie, where it has more of an influence on... Um, has more of a sense on like, you know, Bruce Wayne and how he is trying to deal with living a double life as both Batman and Bruce Wayne. Yeah, um, I think it was, it, was, it was interesting as well to see that the, like, um, Danny DeVito's uh, Penguin here is very much a villain for both Bruce Wayne and for, for Batman. Uh, I would say for Bruce Wayne because there's not really much interaction between Penguin and Bruce Wayne, I'd say is a very interesting villain for Batman, mostly. Um, I think that this film kind of has, gives Batman a bit more of an equal in terms of a love interest with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. 
And uh, right. I think that with by giving her a really good love interest, you have a bit more of an interesting story with Batman because that you know one of the things that I, as I remember watching this movie is that you have a great chemistry between the two of them, which is yeah, shines absolutely. through and through. And you know it's basically it's very much true to the essence of what the comic book is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that I, the, what I meant with with Joker, sorry, with with Penguin and uh, with uh, with Bruce is kind of like they're a little bit like dark parallels of each other. Where mm. uh, co- you know Cobblepot has is never had all the things that uh, Bruce did, but he could have. Mm. Mm, okay, I, I, that's a, that's an interesting take. Uh, I can see that. Um, all right, so I really like all right. Michelle Pfeiffer stole the show as Catwoman. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think that for a lot of people, including myself, she is the best live-action Catwoman. Uh, no shade to Anne Hathaway. Halle Berry was something very different. That was just uh, something we're not even. <laughs> I'm not sure just... she would. She would. She would agree with that. I don't care. <laughs> um. Um. I am very excited for uh, for Zoe Kravitz where I feel that we are getting somewhat of that same spirit yeah. and, you know, and, and it's coming back. Um, I really enjoyed that whole, like the making of the suit where, where Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is like descending into chaos and basically yeah. trashing her own apartment and making yeah, the, the cat suit like and everything. Losing it to some extent. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And one of the things that I enjoy about, you know, Batman's villains is that in their own ways, they're all like broken reflections of Batman and how, you know, all of their villains have to go, have to go through their own insanity and had to go through their own loss in order to find quote unquote meaning. You know what I mean? Two-Face, Catwoman, Mr. Freeze, the Joker and all that type of stuff. And I really enjoyed that. Um, I would have to give it a con though because um, um, uh, Selena Kyle gets thrown out of a window by Christopher Walken, um, and you know he uh, and and the cats basically bring her back to life. Yeah, <laughs> which is just ridiculous when you think about it. Yeah, a lot of the origin stories for the characters in this movie are very ridiculous and out there. I, I agree. Um, this kind of is giving me a signal of how like it's very Tim Burton esque, I guess. Very Tim Burton esque, but. At the same time, not really taking the source material too seriously. Um, right. Like, I mean, they, it could have been much better if they had taken a few elements from um, from Batman uh, from Batman Year One in terms of like the Selina origin story. Yeah, uh, yeah um, I would say that Danny DeVito's Penguin also steals the show. Oh yeah, he's so great, and he's so weird and un- creepy, but also <laughs> kind of lovable. Hi, Max. I'm Fred Hand, and all that type <laughs> of stuff. And I agree. Yeah. Um, I know that for a lot of people, this version of Penguin basically disgusts them. But yeah, some of the scenes are kind of gross, like gross the nose biting. Like the the but... nose biting, which is crazy, because this is a PG thirteen movie. And what's even crazier about that scene is kind of like you know, they, these are campaign workers who are employed by Christopher Walken's character, um, Max Shrek, 
Yeah, and you need to tell me that nobody in this building is kind of like talking to him saying, hey, are you sure you want this guy to run for mayor after what he just did to this guy and his nose? You know, which is just really <laughs> ridiculous. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, Shrek is, yeah, Shrek is a weird character because like he never come back and we like never really hear about him again anywhere else. Even yeah. though he's, for all intents and purposes, basically the main villain of this movie. Mm. I agree. And I think that this story is basically a more of an, uh, an examination of Gotham's greed and corruption. Yeah. And, and that is something that I feel that they, uh, you know, they, 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 they really get into. And, and, you can really, and you can really see that within those two, these two movies, you see an examination of Gotham's corruption. Like in the last movie, you have Joker basically throwing money, right? Yeah. And you have, of course, the penguin who is trying to be the mayor, but leading a double life of facetiousness. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that you you have something really interesting here. Um, I would agree that in previous incarnations of the penguin, and you know, I've done my I've been doing my research, is that the penguin was more of a gentleman of crime. Like he would do yeah. things like rob diamond stores and yeah be a part of these elaborate heists and everything and he was very uh, a calculated uh, criminal yeah he's always but, been more of an organized crime kind of character yeah and as we moved forward with this version where tim bird wants to make it his version of the penguin where it's a crossbreed cross human cross uh, penguin type of hybrid and brought a more disgusting nature to the penguin and yeah, kind of, it made him very much weirder. I agree. And I think that weirdness kind of works very well. I mean, I know that we're not going to get that with Colin Farrell and his take on Penguin. Yeah. But where we're going to get more of a mob boss, mafioso. But I also think that we might get a bit more of a disgusting nature. Because, you know, one I remember one time I was listening to this... Um, this podcast and they were basically describing the penguin as someone who has a rotten mind and due to having a rotten mind this has affected him physically and him being very grotesque and having a a reflection of his inner self i guess yeah in in that sense um i would say that this film has a somewhat better story in terms of reflecting gotham city um yeah, I think a... because because the original did a lot of the legwork in setting up the scene, I think that this movie is allowed to like you know really just tell a Batman story without having to worry about the origins and all of that stuff. Mm. Okay, I I agree with that that sentiment. Um, it's a it's a better story because I think that it tackles the whole Batman the Catwoman chemistry very well. Um, it. Uh, it, uh, I don't know, it kind of gives you a bit more of an insight into the, you know, Gotham City and all that type of stuff. Um, you know, and it basically somewhat makes somewhat of a relatable character, well, not relatable, but like a character you can feel for, you know, with uh, Danny DeVito's Penguin. Um, yeah, as monstrous as, it is, as he is, you can't help but feel bad for him. Yeah, I agree, as, as monstrous as he is. Um, so I would say that this film has good production design. It's not as good as the first one, I, I'd have to admit, but I would say that 
Well, unfortunately, the production designer who worked on the first one had passed away and he committed oh. suicide and they had to get somebody else. But overall, I kind of like it. It's not a, you know, it's not as good as the first one, but, you know, it does its job in, in showing a dark, decrepit Gotham City. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Danny Elfman's score is incredible in this one. As always, yeah. Uh, the band Cat Chemistry. And uh, I would have to say, due to me being an animal lover, um, the penguins, I enjoyed the penguins in this one. They're so silly, but I love them so much. <laughs> yeah, I agree. They're they're very silly and all that stuff, and they're uh, they're. Um, I mean, I understand that you know it it basically takes you out of this movie because it's kind of like you're watching like a new uh, National Geographic instead of like a Batman movie, but <laughs> you're kind of like it would make sense. A guy who calls himself the Penguin would have penguins as you know people to be henchmen you know what i mean yeah yeah i think this movie as dark as it is it leans more into the camp of the of the adam west times and of the older comics yeah um, i agree not, not only this one but the last one as well yeah um yeah. there are some memorable scenes that i enjoy um uh cat one basically uh trashing the the max shrek's place um yeah uh, the soup. There's a scene where ba- ba- uh, Bruce Wayne is, de- is uh, looking more in- onto the into the penguin in, in the bad cave, and uh, Alfred brings him soup, and he notices that it's cold, and Alfred's like, "It's vichyswasa, it's supposed to be cold," and all that type of stuff. And I just I just find that whole scene very funny. Um, and, you yeah. know, I'm not gonna lie. We love we love a sassy Alfred. Yeah, I agree. I um. I, I oftentimes, as I rewatch this movie, I oftentimes forget that Christopher Walken is in this movie at times. Yeah. And Which... I, re- I remember hearing that originally um, uh, Tim Burton didn't want to add Christopher Walken into this movie oh. because I think he scared him because he, really, he knows how to play like really intense characters. And he was kind of like, I'm not too sure if I can handle that. Which right. is interesting because you kind of had Jack Nicholson in your last movie, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, so let's see here. Um, not a good movie, but just something that I not a good thing, but just something that I noticed, especially in this movie. Um, it has a lot of sexual innuendo. Yeah, I mean, Selena Kyle is, extre- is extremely sexual. <laughs> I agree. Um, I would, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff in this movie. Um, I would say the bad in this movie would be that at times it feels, it's too goofy at times. And I think that what's interesting about it is that this basically leads the way for Batman Forever and the tone that it takes. Yeah, you know it's kind I mean? of like a, a slow descent into madness. Yeah, slow, um, yeah, I agree. A slow descent into what we will see in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, you, you know what I mean? And a lot of the lines feels goofy at times. And yeah, and I it's... think what's this movie is also tonally like it keeps switching from extremely dark to like kind of goofy. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, all the the the, the murder and the the violence and the gore. And then, and then, oh no, it's a, it's a penguin with a bazooka or a rocket launcher on its back. Like, yeah, I agree. Um, 
you do know that the uh, there, um, one of the characters in this movie is uh, is um, which McCall. Um, he plays uh, Max Shrek's son, and you know he does an impersonation of Christopher Walken in order to sell that he's uh, the son of uh, Max Shrek. He does uh, a Christopher <laughs> Walken impersonation. That's so oh, funny. Yeah, that that that's true. Um, so I would say that this film, one of the bad things about this film is that it stops being a Batman movie and starts being a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I do feel that you, you it feels very Batman in the first one with Batman 89 through and through. Yeah. But as we move on to the sequel, Batman is like, as, as someone would call it, Batman is 20% of the movie Tim Burton is eighty percent of the movie. Yeah, I think that a lot the scenes where uh, we get to see Catwoman or Selina with uh, uh, with Batman are very Batman Batman esque. But I think everything else, you know, a lot of the stuff, it just feels just like very Burton. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that that sentiment. Um, I would say another bad one is that Batman kills yet again. And, you know, the reason why I mentioned this is that I wanted to, uh, to bring, uh, you know, this, this is something that I want to bring to light when we would discuss Ben Affleck and stuff like that. So, yeah, and, and, and all that. And uh, I, I'm going to ask you this. Do you consider Batman Returns a, a Christmas movie? Yeah, I, I, I was kind of thinking about it a little bit when I was watching it. I don't think so. I mean, I feel like the Christmas element is very much played down. It's kind of more of just like set dressing mm. to, and it feels like it's more there to make the penguin element make sense. Mm. You know, it's a penguin is cold. Mm. So, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't consider it a, a Christmas movie if I'm honest. Mm, but I, I agree. I mean, the Christmas this, thing is kind of an afterthought. Yeah. You have this discussion with a lot of film fans about how, you know, is Die Hard a Christmas movie is uh, Iron Man 3 a Christmas movie you know what I mean yeah and you know when you realize that, that you know Christmas is basically like a backdrop if anything else and I think that that is the case for uh, for Batman Returns um, and, and before uh, we, we close off on on Batman Returns um, I would say that this film basically puts the franchise in what I call a loop so what, I, what that means is that, all right, for years, people have been clamoring for a dark cinematic version of Batman brought to the big screen, right? Yeah. We have that with Batman 89. The sequel, we go a little bit further with Batman Returns. It doesn't work out well. Because the reason why was because a lot of the parents were complaining about how dark this movie was. And it's kind of like, hey, I'm taking my kids to go see this movie and all that type of stuff. And you had like a, a legit, a talk show of kids basically complaining about how dark this movie was and all that type of stuff and how grotesque the penguin was and all that type of stuff. And how, um, you know, there was a lot of sexual innuendo and all that type, type of stuff. Um, you know, um, just a lot of things that really made parents be like, you know, they, they need to change some things, you know? And Warner Brothers at the time who were kind of like, you know, let's say 
abandoning a certain vision for something a bit more lighter in order to for them to get more money because there's a lot of toys there's like a mcdonald's deal attached to it so they had to make money you know what i mean so you and then you have something like batman forever which has a bit more of a lighter tone makes money and you know the studio sees that all right people like this a lighter tone with their movies right and they go f- even further with Batman and Robin to yeah. the point where they kill the franchise. Yeah, they and go too far. <laughs> they go uh, way too far. Yeah. And then they realize, okay, we need to bring this franchise back as dark as it can be. Yeah. The Nolan films, successful, right? Yeah. Then they do something a bit more darker with Ben Affleck's Batman. Then they realize, okay, People don't like this dark superhero stuff. Let's do what the Marvel universe is doing where things have more of a lighter tone to it and, and things are, you know, there's jokes every five minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Doesn't work at all with the theatrical cut of Justice League. And now we are moving into a bit more of a darker take on Batman with Matt Reeves. And I'm also wondering how will, quote unquote, the general audience will react to it? Because for one... I also think that a lot of the issue is us, the fans, because I feel that us as fans, we don't know what we want. Do we want a lighthearted Batman movie? Do we want, do we want a dark Batman movie? Because yeah. if as much as we do a lot of discourse on it, it basically makes the studio very confused. And because of that, Tim Burton didn't return for the third movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think that they're, they're definitely finding their footing. I think that dark Batman should be the way to go going forward i'm I agree. you know there's no problem with having some levity but i think that at least i i think when it came to batman uh batman v superman i don't think that batman was the issue i think that i think that superman is supposed to be like an inspiring and 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 hopeful character mm. while contrasted with batman's darkness and i think that it just ended up being just superman's brooding and dark batman's brooding and dark and I think that it, that's kind of where a lot of I, the I agree. tonal I, issues I, came. I agree with that that sentiment. Um, I, I just do hope that no matter what happens to this movie, universally, us as fans can be like, okay, this is a great dark Batman movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. So, all right. So let's move on to Batman Forever. Now, I mean, I'm just going to do a little preface here. Um, so, of course, you know, uh, Batman Returns, um, you know, does what it does. And it really causes the studio to panic and make a drastic change to the franchise, right? People realize, okay, in order to get more money, we need to brighten up the tone in order to appeal towards a younger demographic like kids and all that type of stuff. And the studio does that. So by, by doing that, they decide to fire Tim Burton and hire Joel Schumacher. Now I'll say this. I do not blame Joel Schumacher for the atrocity that was Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. I don't blame him. <laughs> I think the true culprits here are the studio, studio heads at the time. Now, Joel Schumacher is known for doing some certain dark and serious movies. Like there was this one movie he made with uh, 
Colin Farrell called Phone Booth, which is very underrated. I'd highly recommend that you watch it. Watch it. And he, he, he's a, you're, you're familiar with it? I'm not. Oh, I, I highly recommend that you watch it. It's very like, a, like it's a, the film is very tense. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. And the, um, the studio basically tells him, okay, we need you to change the franchise and brighten it up. So not, about, well, not only brighten it, brightening it up, but also make it as marketable as possible with toys and advertisements and, and, and you know, McDonald's and, and all that type of stuff, right? So um, w- what are your thoughts on all this, HN? Yeah, I mean, it kind of shows. I feel like at least Batman Forever, it kind of, you know, that it harkens to some of the deeper, darker ideas at times. And then there's a clear, like, tonal shift where it kind of is it's fighting itself with, like, the campy, family-friendly tone. And mm. they kind of clash. And then by the time you get to Batman and Robin, he's kind of just, like, give it up. And it's just a Saturday morning cartoon. Like- I agree. <laughs> I agree. But, you know, um, as much... Um... As much crap we, we give these films, there are certain elements that I enjoy in them. Um, you know, it's kind of like when I began rewatching all the uh, the Spider-Man films and I was rewatching Spider-Man 3 and Amazing Spider-Man 2. As, 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 as a lot of like negativity and bad stuff there are in those films, there are certain positive elements here and there. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think that honestly, when I was watching both again, like, I, I enjoyed, I had a great time watching them. Like, mm. the flaws are very obvious to me. Like, you're watching Absolutely. them, I'm like, and I'm like just scratching my head a lot of the time. I'm like, why did you decide to do this? Or who who thought this was a good idea? But at the same time, it's so entertaining. <laughs> and it's just, there's so much fun that it, I, I couldn't look away. Mm. All right. But you know what, Let, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the good of this film. As, as much as, you know we're gonna to we're gonna spend some time tearing it down, but I just want to get on to the uh, the good stuff about this movie. Um, I feel that this film feels uh, very grand, yeah. In terms of the scale, in terms of the action, to a certain extent, um, I would say that the film has a really good opening scene where it really just puts you in the action. You know, it's kind of like a James Bond movie or a um, or a, or. A, uh, Indiana Jones type movie where it's like okay we're just going to put you in the action and re- let you sink into it you know what I mean yeah absolutely and I think I, yeah I think this movie has a lot of like positives I honestly think the action was 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 even better in Batman and Robin like I agree Batman and Robin has such a sense of flow and the the, the all the, the fight scenes feel so smooth and and fun um mm. even more so than 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 Batman Forever mm. But Batman Forever is good too. Yeah, I I agree. It feels very much grander than the Burton films. Um, Another one is Val Kilmer, uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman. Now, you know, Val Kilmer isn't really much discussed when you talk Batman, you know. He's oftentimes overlooked by, you know, Christian Bale, Keaton, um, um, Ben Affleck, all those things. But I don't blame him either for the mishaps of this movie. I think that he brings something very interesting in terms of the duality between Batman and Bruce Wayne. I do think that he really fits into that quote unquote ideal Batman in terms of like a six foot 
you know, tall, dark, and handsome. Um, of course, the only uh, con I would give him is that he has blonde hair, or at least a dirty yeah. blonde hair look. Yeah, um, I, I, he might not look 100% the part, but I thought that I, I really liked his performance. It, I, I, a few times, it, it almost it reminded me of almost like the animated series and the, you know, the, the classic uh, uh, Batman that's uh, played by, why can I forget his name now, by uh, Kevin Conroy. Yes, the Kind of the, the tonality and the, and the stoicism. And I, I, agree. I thought he pulled it off like kind of beautifully. I, I, um, I agree. He pulled it off very well. Um, I remember I was watching this documentary on Val Kilmer on, uh, on Amazon. And uh, Val Kilmer isn't, uh, right now, isn't in the best, best health. He had a throat cancer. So oh. he talks with, um, he has like a tube inserted in his, uh, in his neck. So he can't talk right. And he's not in the best health, but he talked about his time as Batman. And, and the documentary is basically narrated by his son who speaks for him and he basically talks about his time as Batman and said that you know he always wanted to be Batman and how he as a kid was brought he he managed to go to the set of the Adam West show yeah. and you know he felt that it was a greater honor and responsibility when his agents called him and said hey are you interested in playing Batman and he said yeah and when he tried on the suit and everything it was very hard for him to move in it, and which is a hurdle that all, pretty much all Batman actors have, yeah. have you know, have, have uh, they got a face with, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, he said that, you know, he, there, there were times when I remember hearing that he, he that there were rumors how he clashed with director Joel Schumacher and all that type of stuff. And, um, you know, all, all these types of things. And overall, yeah. he didn't really have a really good experience and all these, these types of things. And uh, he ultimately didn't come back for the sequel, which I don't blame him. Yeah, and, which, uh, yeah. And I, I think it's a shame because he, honestly, I, I have a newfound appreciate, like a newfound appreciation for him. Yeah. Like, like uh, if I had to rank my Batman, like I, I wouldn't have thought about him twice before, but now honestly, he's he's going up. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I I do really uh, I really do I do really hope that people consider him a little bit more. Um, I do um I do feel that Val Kilmer, especially as an actor, is very underrated. Um, yeah. I've seen him in movies such as Heat with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. I've seen him in, uh, he played Jim Morrison in The Doors. Yeah. He was in uh, a Tom Cruise movie, Top Gun. Yeah. Uh, what was that other one? I know that he was in that other one. I remember my sister's rave about it, uh, Willow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Willow in all, all those movies. And he's a really good actor. Like, he's a really good, like, in the same vein as a, as a Marlon Brando, like a method actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now the good, I, I'm sure that people will have a bit of a mixed opinion on this. Is the um, the suit up scene? Now, here's my thing. I enjoy a good suit up scene in a movie. Um, like in Iron Man, we see Tony Stark wearing the Iron Man suit for the first time. Um, I do know that suit up scenes in in superhero movies aren't really quote unquote very popular, and they might inadvertently do it in the same way that Joel Schumacher did in the uh, 
Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, all right, except, all right, no booty shots, no nipples, no nothing. If they didn't show that, crotch they just shots. showed no crotch shot, no none of that. Okay. We might, I, I might appreciate it a little bit more, but overall, I, I just enjoy a good suit up scene. Like, it just really shows you how there are layers to putting on quote unquote the bat suit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Honestly, I think this, like, I think that this movie does a lot of things well, but I think mm-hmm. that every time it does it, it shoots itself in the leg. Like, mm-hmm. the suit up scene was really, like, was very climatic and I, I thought it was a great way to introduce the movie but then mm. they introduce all the silly sound effects and those like you know the, the nipple shots the butt shots the crotch shots and mm. it just completely takes you out and it's I like agree. it was doing great up until that moment mm. i agree um jim carrey is the riddler um <laughs> well here's my thing it, it's it's the 90s so as we all know jim carrey's in his prime and I know that us as astute Batman fans, we want something a bit more darker and serious, right? Yeah. And Jim Carrey was basically allowed to do free reigns with whatever he wants. This is more of a Frank Gorshin, Adam West type Riddler than your yeah. dark and serious type Riddler. You know what I mean? Yeah, as- I think this this is this Jim this well this Riddler is literally just Jim Carrey being unleashed. Yeah, and I, I agree. think I, I think for the most part it works. There are some times when you know it's a little bit too much, and that you know you can say that a lot of times about this movie. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it, it I, makes it's, sense. It's also and fun and entertaining. Yeah. N- not only that, but in order to get quote unquote the general audience to really buy into this movie, you need a Jim Carrey in a way. You know what I mean? Like, this is what 1995. Um, Jim Carrey has done. Uh, Ace Ventura, The Mask, and all these types of movies where, you know, he, he's a box office draw. He, he will bring butts yeah. into theaters, you know what I mean? And I think that's basically what the studio has really wanted, you know what I mean? That a comedic type feel to it, which will, you know, bring money and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, I would say that I do enjoy the gadgets in this one. Yeah, I think Although, they're fun. Even again, there's a bit of a tonal mismatch, but they are fun. And I think they're they're a lot more, you know, they're very stylized, maybe a little bit too much, but I think that they're also they strike a good balance between the camp and the the grounded approach. Definitely mm. much more than than you know, than what will follow. Yeah, I agree. Um the um the film is very much of its time. Um, like as we talked about how it's the 80s, right? So the 80s are a time of, um, how can you say? Not glamour, but I mean, of, of glamour and darkness and stuff like that. You have so much of the, uh, a resurgence of the dark image of Batman with Frank Miller, year one and Dark Knight Returns and all these types of things. Yeah. And as we approach sometime during the 90s, you have a bit more of a darker type of, sentiment to it but as we approach somewhere between like the mid 90s we have what you would call a bit more of a flashy slash darker type of uh yeah type you know feel the, to it the period of the the hyper masculine comic characters and the super sexualized but everything's kind of just neon and yeah and, i and agree flashy. i agree and it's it's a very much a sign of its time and uh 
you know, one, one thing we didn't uh, get to, to discuss, uh, I just thought of it now, is that, uh, you know, they offered Michael Keaton a lot of money to return for the third film. And Michael Keaton said no, because kind of like, you know, me and Tim, we made something really special with this movie. And for me to basically, you know, do something else entirely is kind of like, you know, it betrays what me and Tim really started to do with this character yeah. and all that type of stuff. And you really do have to appreciate Michael Keaton and his, you know, reluctance to say no. Like they offered him like a lot of money. Yeah. And I even remembered when he did an interview some some while ago and he was talked about, you know, his his uh, raised thoughts on, you know, uh, um, you know, him leaving the role. And he basically said that no, no matter what money they were offering him, he was kind of like, I- I'm not into it. Um, and you really do have to give him his, his credit. Um, that's why you really do have to appreciate Michael Keaton. And I'm excited to see him return in The Flash and uh, see from, you know, from Batman Returns all the way till now, what, ha- what has he been doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that, that, you know, Michael Keaton will always, you know, be such an important person for the for for for, for uh, Batman's history, and they also uh, and he was also you know he's, he's a great actor. He's done great things since, and yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm very agree. excited to see what he brings. Yeah. Um. um oh yeah. Um. As we were watching this movie, you and me, um, I said that I noticed two things. Right. One yeah. was Edward Nigma's Edward Nigma's glasses. Uh, how they were basically the same glasses that the new Riddler is wearing now. Yeah, which is a cool nod. And John Favreau, who is Bruce Wayne's bodyguard in Batman Forever, he just had one scene. That was it. He was just an extra. And who I who you know later on a few a few years plays Happy Hogan, who is Tony Stark's mighty bodyguard. <laughs> so it's funny how that goes. Yeah. Um, so we talked about uh, Joel Schumacher's cut of Batman Forever, and uh, what, what 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 were your thoughts on it? You know, because the Joel Schumacher cut has a somewhat of a deeper dive into Batman's psyche, has a different ending and a different beginning. Yeah, I honestly I wish they would have went more into it. I think that the the the, the parts where they do dive into uh, you know Batman's you know, inner struggles and his psychology are the best parts of the movie. I think mm. that the zaniness is fun, but I think that we you know what what really surprised me is how is how well done a lot of those scenes are. I think that you know part of it is just because of how amazing you know Amy Adams is in this. Amy Adams. I mean, you mean oh no, Amy Adams. Nicole Nicole Kidman. God. Nicole Kidman. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Um, how great Nicole Kidman is and how, you know, the, the charisma she brings uh, and kind of contrasted with, uh, Val, with Kilmer. Val Kilmer's kind of stoicism. But I thought, I thought that that was really great. And I, I honestly wanted to see more of it. Um, and, and, and exploring some of those dark scenes were nice. I think that, uh, you know, Tommy Lee Jones uh, is at his best when he's able to play a more somber, uh, yeah, you know, I agree a bit somber, a bit more darker Two-Face, and he barely gets to do it. Yeah, I um, agree. And, and, and by, by, by the Schumacher cut, for, for, for those who don't know, um, it's basically 
there is a cut of this movie which had a darker opening where the movie starts in Arkham Asylum. A guard has been hanged. Two-Face has escaped from Arkham Asylum and has written in blood, the bat must die. And the ending basically ends with, uh, instead of uh, Bruce Wayne uh, waiting outside Arkham Asylum for, for Chase Meridian, Bruce Wayne has already left and Alfred gives her a ride and, you know, Chase basically says, does it, does it ever end, Alfred? And Alfred says, no, Dr. Meridian, not in this lifetime. No. And uh, yeah, you, you know, it's, um, and in terms of Bruce Wayne's psyche when it comes to the Schumacher cut, it, it had a really interesting uh, scene where, the, the, you, as you remember, as we watched the film, you and I, they were the red book, right? So the red book was basically chronicling Bruce Wayne's life. And there was a part of the movie where Bruce Wayne wanted to go to the movie theater, right? And as from what he remembers is that his dad and his parents didn't want, his, didn't want to go to the movie theater. They were kind of really tired, but Bruce Wayne really insisted on it. And because of that, you know, they ended up getting killed. Yeah, I do think, yeah, I do think that was, it was the fact that they didn't clarify like why he felt guilty for his parents' death. Like obviously we can make assumptions, but I think that scene would have made a big difference. Would have made a big difference. And as I, as we get into it more, it, the Red Book basically said that it wasn't Bruce's fault that his father really wanted to take him to the movie theater. And by doing so, he returns to, where he fell, you know, which would ultimately become the bat cave and where he meets that big live, there's like a big bat that right, he sees. Right. And there's like this scene where you kind of really see that genesis of Batman. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that would ultimately that cut from the movie. And I think it's a shame because I think that it, it, it was, you know, would have been one of the kind of necessary to title together. Um, I think that they spent probably too much time on on Jim Carrey's antics and you know I, I, Tommy I agree, Lee Jones like, intervenes uh, and, and shoots up the place like uh, five times in this movie just yeah I up. agree I, I think that it, this is basically a the film doesn't really know what it wants to be and this is what something that we'll discuss as we uh, as we get into uh, the battle of this movie um let's talk about the battle Let, let's get into it um I have a lot of things to say <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, all right. So everything looks like an amusement park. Gotham City. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and to me, that is not Gotham City to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm I, with you. I, I miss the, uh, you know, the dark Gothic, you know, decaying place that is Gotham City as we as we've seen from Tim Burton's Batman. Um, yeah. It almost looks like like. I know I, we, when we were watching together, I, I brought this up, but it almost looked outside of Blade Runner. And they go into it even more in Batman and Robin with, you know, giant statues and elevated highways. And it looks like a, like out of the future. It doesn't, it kind of loses some of this grounded kind of. I agree. I agree. That was before it, you know, it ends up looking silly and cartoony. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that the Riddler doesn't really test Batman's intellect in the way that he should. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah. yeah, 
Like there are but, times when um oh, sorry man, go ahead. No, no, you go first. No, there are times that if you read like a good Batman Riddler comic, there are times when Batman's and sorry, uh Riddler's riddles are very much very complex and they really to a certain extent really test Batman's intellect. And in this movie, you don't really see that very much. You know what I mean? No, yeah. The, and the riddles were such that felt like such an afterthought. Like mm-hmm. he had this cold plan about like the the controlling people's brainwaves and stealing the key, which you know makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like like he could have tried brain mind controlling them. There's so much different things they could have done with that instead of siphoning their their IQ to blackmail them. Yeah, um, I agree. And, and, and you just lose the Riddler aspect. Like that part of it was, was so weird to me. Um, and there's so much more or so many different things they could have done that would have, you know, still like they don't have to they wouldn't have to change this much. Just refine a little bit of his plan and make it make more sense and you know, think it through. And it was so I don't know, it just took me out. And when they have the like the the big lasers or the big like beams coming from everybody's minds into his secret lair. Yeah, I agree. So weird. It's such it a weird decision. It's so weird and, and it really pulls you out of the movie. Um Batman kills in this one. You know, he just kills Two Face. Uh, yeah. You know, and, you know, I, I'm mentioning this because, you know, and I've repeated this a little bit too much, but, you know, that, you know, we're getting into Ben Affleck and there's like this big controversy, but I am trying to somewhat build a case and all that stuff, but, you know, and, and that will be used in a very good and interesting uh, argument and all that stuff. So, yes, he kills in this one. Um, yeah. I just didn't really understand Nicole Kidman's character at times to me, honestly. Yeah, I think that she worked as a psychologist or a consultant and the foil to Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. And her having a crush on Batman made sense, but they could have had her working with him or stuff like that. Instead, they have this weird forced scene where they just make a bunch of sexual innuendos on the rooftop. Yeah. And, and Batman can barely keep it in his pants, which was just weird. Like, chicks dig the car. Like, they, there were so many more organic ways if you wanted to build that dynamic where, okay, he's, he needs her help with solving riddles or, or, or approaching, finding a different way to approach Riddler or he's conflicted about the fact that Robin wants to kill. There was a lot of ways she could have been you know, useful or integral to yeah. the movie. And then instead they just hand fist her into, I'm so horny for Batman, I'm gonna make stupid decisions that potentially yeah. put Gotham <laughs> at risk. Like that 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 line are trying to get under my cape, Doctor. Oh my God. And, and, yeah. Chicks man. love the car. Oh man. Um the uh bat suit and the Robin suit were just horrendous. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did like some of the color composition of the later Robin suit, but it's you know the you can't the rubber is weird and yeah the whole rubber the nipples are like, the, the, nipples, the nipples are unnecessary and I it feels like they're just there to set up the sexual jokes yeah I um, agree. and and it, it, they do that in Batman and Robin too like Poison Ivy mentions how much she loves the bat nipples which feels self indulgent but you know it is what it is yes it is I've mentioned blonde Bruce Wayne which I don't like. Um, yeah, the music and the score. I just don't like this score at all. It feels very. It's too much. It's like circus music, basically, and it's not like dark and creepy as the Danielle yeah. score. You know what I mean? Yeah, they they clearly take some inspiration from Danielle Elfman's score at times. Yeah. where they'll 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 play some of the da na na na, and then and then go way too crazy. 
yeah, with I agree. it, and you, you lose you lose the the, the ambiance and kind of just yeah, like get lost in the circus, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Two Face. It <sighs> felt like a wannabe Joker. Like I agree, I, I agree. Um, but you know, one thing I do enjoy, however, is that as we all know, Tommy Lee Jones plays a very stiff character that time like he like he'll he'll play a good character here and there in like a, a movie that i really enjoy um um no no country for old men and, and all that yeah. type of stuff but in this movie i i'm not gonna lie like the fact that he was actually really like trying to be to match jim carrey's level of wackiness was very interesting and really shows that he has I mean, if he wants to be, he can be a really good comedic actor at times. And and you kind of see that in um in Men in Black with yeah. Will Smith, but he's kind of a bit more toned down. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that what's interesting is that I again with Two-Face, they didn't know what they wanted to do with the character. I agree. They they don't get like he makes as a character, he makes no sense. They give him the, the balance gimmick that they take from the comics and then only use it once at the beginning. Yeah, then, like the whole like gentle high type thing. They they he's just a psycho who wants to kill Batman for the entire movie. Like yeah, they don't use like, the two face at all except like, for one or two off references. Yeah, I agree. They could have used something a bit more interesting with like they mentioned Sal Maroni and how he spilled acid on Den's face, which is very I, I don't know. I, I think this movie came before a uh, long Halloween, if I remember correctly. Right. So all right, but but. Um, but the thing is, is that they could have used certain elements where due to what happened to him, he feels some way that Batman should have prevented this. You know what I mean? And that's why he wants to kill him. And I, and I think that they could have used. And they kind of allude to it with like the random like TV footage, which was so like weird and random. Weird and random, but they never, they could have done something really interesting, but they never, took the chance to do so you know what i mean yeah i think he feels like he just exists there to be punchline which is I such agree. a shame because there are so many interesting things they could have done with the character they just decide not to do any of them and so he ends up playing just a another joke character to, to and you know he, he is funny and he is fun when he's with jim carrey but they, they there's nothing more to him right there's no death there's and i, I don't know it, it's disappointing yeah um, in terms of this film, this film being the theatrical cut, um, this film feels like a very shallow representation of examining Batman's psychology. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They 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 touch it enough that to make you interested, and then don't go nearly deep enough. I agree. Um, I think there's especially with Robin, there's a lot more they could have done with. Oh, well, like I also have these issues, and they could have played off each other. And instead, they kind of like, oh yeah, my parents died too. Okay, bye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Chris O'Donnell, the uh, Robin. How, how do you feel about uh, Robin in this movie? I think he's very underutilized, and I I think that part of it is because I just don't think he and he and uh, Val Kilmer have a good chemistry. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, he has much better chemistry with George Clooney, which is funny uh, because that's. <laughs> but we'll discuss that later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. And I think that they just, they don't mesh well. And so it, I, they're not fun on screen together. I think as a Robin, he's fine. You know, I don't have any major issues there. It just doesn't feel like they, they're from the same movie sometimes. I agree. They, they, they really uh, pull you out. I mean, I do, 
when 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 talking about you know how very of its time this film is when you watch chris o'donnell like you know he's wearing like the leather shirt with like the oh, ripped yeah. <laughs> shirt and, and leather jacket with the ripped shirt and everything with the the earring and everything like that it feels very much like of its time like very 90s-esque and, and all these uh, all that type of stuff yeah and you know and, and i remember as we were watching it uh, how um uh, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio was offered the role of uh, of Robin. If, if if Leonardo would have done a better job, because obviously doing the the Romeo and Juliet movie, he kind of had that zany energy at that time. Yeah, I but, agree. It was very ninety. Everybody had zany energy. You know what I mean? Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I I think it, I don't know. I just I wasn't a fan of it. I thought they could have done a lot more. All right. So yeah, everybody had zany energy. Um, yeah. So let's Commissioner Gordon useless worth cop in gotham and this is something that i bring up a lot in batman batman returns this movie and the next movie worst cop in gotham he, he feels him and, he feels like a plot device more than anything yeah what's ironic is that even the the reporter lady you were saying it was it was tom kane's wife uh bob kane yes bob kane sorry yeah she has more of a character than he does and she and she's also just there to just out exposition no he's that, just... but like but the commissioner gordon is at the circus when two faces like attacking everybody <laughs> so you need to tell me that you don't have police officers on standby he, he does absolutely nothing he does nothing <laughs> And you know, this is why, is, this, yeah, this is why you really have to appreciate Christopher Nolan, where he finally said, hey, Batman and Gordon, let's have a good sense of camaraderie between them and yeah, really make him like a part of Batman's, you know, support structure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, obviously he got an amazing actor. So <laughs> I agree. And Gary Oldman. Um, yeah. The Batmobile. Disgusting. Yeah, it it was overdesigned. It's it's they took the the design that worked with the the one from the uh, the Tim Burton version. Yeah, yeah. And then and then just added a bunch of lights on it. <laughs> and I didn't like the fin in, yeah. on it. It just like wiggled and it just felt very like off putting and just like I, I didn't I didn't like it really like it that much. Yeah, they had something good and they ruined it. Like basically. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, it tackles too much. Yeah, it spreads uh, itself too thin. Absolutely, and it's basically what I would call the um, the Spider-Man three of the Batman franchise in a way. Yeah, I think that I think that what's what's a bummer is that it had a, a lot of good elements. Yeah, I think that I think that if it had leaned one way or the other, it would have been better. But it, yeah, because it it tries to have both, and yeah, well, I say that, but Batman and Robin goes all in on the camp, and it's not better. Yeah. <laughs> I think it has it had potential, and I think it's still entertaining to watch. But I I, I don't think it's a good movie, right? Mm. Um, let's see what else. The film has issues on what it wants to be. Yep. Um, has the plot of a Saturday morning cartoon, and uh, I mean that's oh, yeah. about it. I mean, do, do you uh, have any other I you know things that you want to add on HN or you know? No, I think you pretty much summed it up. Did like, I enjoy the movie? Yes, but do I think it's more than a six out of ten? No. No, I um, mean I would give it a. Um, oh damn! I even forgot to even rate these movies. Um, 
I would give this movie um, pretty much a five out of ten. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in the same mind. So for those who are also wondering my mindset on Batman, Batman Returns. Um, so Batman has pretty much a 7.5 out of 10 for me, the 89 movie. Right. And uh, Batman has a 7 out of 10. Batman Returns, my bad, has a 7 out of 10 for me. How do you feel about those two movies? In case yeah. people are wondering. No, I think I'm about the same place. I think that they were products of their time, and so rating them critically now is maybe a bit unfair. But you know, regardless, <laughs> the, the the their flaws kind of show through, and their their age does show as well. Um, yeah, I I think they're great, and I think that they did a lot of work. But I think that again, their flaws are obvious. Mm. Um, I think this movie. I think what what's sad about Batman Forever is that I think that it had a lot of elements that worked. They just didn't mesh together. Mm. And it kind of creates a, a, a tonal mess. Like it's kind of all over the place and it just never ends up really coming together. Mm. Um, which is a shame because it had potential, right? It had potential. Um, all right. So let's get into what killed the Batman franchise and put it on ice. Oh, God. Permanently. <laughs> what killed the Batman franchise? The Ice Age. <laughs> yes, it did. All right, let's talk about Batman and Robin. Came out two years after Batman Forever. Um, so um, the film is greenlit, regardless of how it was received critically. Um, at this time, the French, the 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 studio basically thought to themselves, "Okay, uh, people like this, you know, more joyous, colorful Batman stuff." let's quadruple it right and <laughs> let's quadruple it right and let's see what we'll make out of this and um yeah <laughs> you know what? Let, let's just talk uh, you know what? as bad as this movie is there are certain good stuff i personally i enjoy about it right i will say i love this movie i this is definitely one of those movies where it's so bad it's good and I had such a blast watching it, and I was like, "Yes, I, I ended up scratching my head for most of it, but mm-hmm. I had I had so much fun." <laughs> God, it was so dumb. I mean, um, here's what I here's what I, here's what I would say. Um, as you know, I'm I, I've never seen an episode of uh, of Adam West. I know of Adam West and all that stuff, and you know, Adam West basically, as much as it is somewhat of a joke to certain people it popularized the batman character and this these two films that we are discussing have somewhat sullied batman's name but at the same time they showed another side of batman which is the comedic side right and i remember as me and you we discussed uh, the suicide squad we discussed about James Gunn, how he said that he enjoys the dark, serious Batman, like the Frank Millers and stuff like that, and the comedic side of Batman. You know what I mean? Yeah. And me and you, we discussed about how different these films would have been if directed by James Gunn. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I, Which I is why been... I'm somewhat of the opinion of James Gunn making a Adam West style type Batman TV show on on HBO Max. I, I would watch it. I think I'm I'm 
I haven't seen Peacemaker yet. I'm interested. I'm yeah. excited to see it. And I think I'll be able to give you more of an opinion after I do. Yeah. But I, it's, it's something I would be, I would absolutely want to see. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I mean, as bad as this film is, there's certain elements I enjoy, like the comedic stuff, you know, and uh, all that. Um, so this, the good of this film is that it's an Alfred story. Um, the story centers more a little bit more around Alfred because Alfred in these movies haven't hasn't been given you know much to do um, yeah. in this one they kind of make him some of the central focus like he's old and he's uh, he's dying and he needs uh, um, a cure for his his sickness and all that stuff um, the film knows what it's trying to be right from the start and we discussed about how with Batman Forever, this, this film, you know, how, how the, the earlier film doesn't know what it wants to be. It's some, it treads somewhere between being dark and, 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 serious and comedic, right? Oh. With this film, through and through, it is comedic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this film is, um, puts you right into, right into the action with the opening, similar yeah. to, to the last one. Yeah, it definitely sets the tone. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, George Clooney's Bruce Wayne. Key here, key, the key thing is that I didn't mention Batman. I just mentioned his Bruce Wayne. Now, here's the thing. I like George Clooney as an actor. I think that he's very charismatic. Um, you know, if you watch a film like uh, Ocean's Eleven, right? Yeah. As, as he plays Danny Ocean, he really... Like he really plays like this really cool, cool-tempered, charismatic individual who can round up a a, a gang of, of mis- miscreants and and to rob a casino. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he plays that very well. And for him to play Bruce Wayne is a no-brainer because if you take into consideration at the time that he was, what was that show he was in? ER in the nineties. And he's like the charming doctor that every nurse wants to be with and all that type of stuff. So him playing Bruce Wayne is a no-brainer, right? Even as I was growing up, I saw his face in the cover of every magazine saying that he's like the sexiest man alive and all that type of stuff. That's that's Bruce Wayne, yeah. but to put it plainly, right? Yeah. And his Batman, nothing like, as we know, that's much more like close to Adam West. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there ha- there's been times, I- I'll say this. There has been times when George Clooney has played a serious, has, has become serious in his roles. Like uh, there's this one movie I remember he was in called Michael Clean, where he plays a lawyer and he's kind of ha- has this uh, crisis of faith between doing you know, the wrong thing and, and, and the right thing and all that type of stuff where he, he actually had like, a, he, play, he played it very well. You know what I mean? He actually, yeah. I even believe he was nominated for best actor at the time. And there was another one called the, the what was the name of that movie? The American, right? He plays an, an assassin in, in hiding in Italy. Wasn't really a good movie, but he played like a hitman where he actually somewhat sold me on it you know what I mean but to play dark Batman you really need to really bring in the 
the dark side. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't think that I've ever seen George Clooney ever portray that. Yeah. And, and I personally, think that, I don't want him to. Yeah. I think when I'm watching the movie, I think he brings a warmth to, to Bruce Wayne, which is nice. But I also think that when he's Batman, I can't not, I just see George Clooney. Like, I agree. <laughs> right? Like, I, I, I look, and you know, he, he, he looks the part, sure. The, his mannerism it, it barely it, the smile he's still playing the george clooney charismatic character i don't feel like i'm seeing batman at all right i agree i have to agree with that sentiment um it has somewhat of a happy ending you know everything is well um you know there's peace and everything and Sunshine and rainbows, you know. Yeah, Alfred except had potentially had... For, for, for Poison Ivy, but... <laughs> yeah, I agree. And another good thing is Batman doesn't kill. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, that's a good thing. All right, now let's get into the bad. Oh, God. <sighs> and... This movie is, is such a mess. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, the suits. Terrible. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Uh, the nipples, the 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 Robin suit, the, the bad girl suit, everything is just god awful. Um, like I I can't, like I don't even know how to to how to even explain this. Like it's so disgusting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty gross. Like the all black Batman suit where, I mean, oh man, like with the blue colors and everything, it's just disgusting. Uh, yeah. the, the Batmobile in this one is just horrendous. Yeah, I didn't notice many changes from the last one. It kind of seemed like it was the same general idea, which was it, bad, so. <laughs> which they, they basically utilize like the same set, basically. Um, the Batmobile is just horrendous. Like it's it's basically like a go kart with like a glowing light, and and it's like. Fix love the car. Yeah. Nah. And then you have the 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 red bird, like the Robin cycle, which is also horrendous. Yeah. Uh, Commissioner Gordon is useless. Um, Once again. You know he basically gives. Willy nilly gives like the the keys to the bat signal to, to poison ivy, right? The the writing an excuse he was charmed, but <laughs> I don't care. That's a... Yeah, it's fair. Uh, the writing in the ice puns is just horrendous. Every line is very dry, and it's oh, yeah. very much like it's a Saturday morning cartoon through and through. The plot makes no sense. The and, character motivations and, and the make writer much sense. who 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 uh, like yeah and and the writer who the who, who does this these movies is very very questionable. His name is uh, Akiva Goldsman, and he's very a questionable writer. And he has more uh, bad credits, bad movie credits on his name than he has good. And I'm just trying to figure out why this guy is still writing movies for Hollywood. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I might have some some connections. <laughs> maybe, um, bat the bat credit card. Never leave the bat, cave without it. The bat skates, the 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 surfs up <laughs> from the sky. Um, oh God! And uh, honestly, like I said earlier, I do think that 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 uh, Clooney and and 
and uh, Chris O'Donnell have better chemistry. I think they're, I they're a better pairing. But mm. I think that Chris O'Donnell, Chris O'Donnell's character is so bad in this. <laughs> like, I think that he, sure, he, he wants to get out of Batman's shadow and he, he feels like Batman doesn't trust him. Okay, cool. But most of their conflict comes from the fact that he wants to sleep with Poison Ivy. Like, I feel like they don't know what to do with him. They they never go in on the fact that this is Batman and Robin. They 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 kind of half-assed it, and then and then end up making it more about you know the the, the girl. Um, he kind of he doesn't really have any really like of a relationship with with Batgirl, who you know Alicia, uh, what is it? Her name is Alicia Silverstone. Yeah. As much as I, she's fun, and I like her character, but she has she serves no purpose, mm-hmm. <laughs> except to be like. Like she's British and yet she has an American accent. She doesn't really bring anything new to the Alfred dynamic. She's like, oh, he's a servant. No, he, he's doing a job. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I she didn't need to be there. She brings nothing except for some girl power puns. Yeah. Do I like her? Yeah. But she, like she's so unnecessary. Um, so I think that again, big miss on that part. The villains yes. are fun because they're stupid and they're funny. But they're not particularly like Arnold's Mr. Freeze has some death, but so much of it is 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 jokes that you never get to you know they never really get to, get to go into the North part. And when they do, I, it's it's good, but we barely get to see it. You know, this kind of goes into my theory of like, you, you know, around the time you had something, you know, you had Batman the animated series, right? Right, and you had such a great team of writers who really brought in a lot of like great artwork and, and writing and all that type of stuff. And to the point where they even took a character like nobody, like Mr. Freeze and turned him into somebody, right? Yeah, yeah. And in this movie, they basically take that idea, they take that concept and run it into the ground to the point where Mr. Freeze cannot be used later on in the future, which is unfortunate because me and you and and, and a lot of astute batman fans know that mr freeze is a really good interesting character if written very well yeah ah god and we don't even i'm not even going to talk about bane (laughs) what they did to bane was 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 monstrous and keep in mind this is like 1997 so this is four years after nightfall just came out so to turn yeah. him into a, basically a muscle guy with no brain, then monkey work yep. and all yep. that stuff. Yep, yep, yep. It, it was very abominable, and you know you do have to appreciate what it's like. You know, years in the line, years later, no one was like, "I'm going to make this character serious," like in the comics. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the action feels cartoonish. Yeah, the action was fun, but it's extremely cartoonish. Uh, Alicia Silverstone, Barbara Wilson instead of Barbara Gordon, Batgirl. To make yeah. her Barbara Gordon didn't wouldn't make any much sense because you know Commissioner Gordon. This is like pretty much, you know, is useless. You know. Yeah, there's a good idea somewhere in there, and 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 they and the comics do eventually take inspiration and do introduce Gordon's niece, and and to and, and she's an interesting character, but this wasn't that <laughs> you know? I, I, I concur um george clooney's batman nope nope not a fan not a good. fan at all 
Um, he, I do think he does a decent job as Bruce he, Wayne. He does do a decent job, but let's, I'll be honest, it's the same sentiment I have for, for Val Kilmer is that I do not blame George Clooney at all. Yeah. George Clooney, when offered this role, immediately when, when, when he was offered this role, he thought to himself, okay, this is a great idea for me to boost my career, which yeah. it did. And, you know, I don't blame him. I don't blame Joel Schumacher because I remember when they were planning this movie, someone at the studio basically told him, and this, these were their words, to make this film more toyetic. Yeah. So he did it, and they basically killed the franchise. You know what I mean? Um, the, it had the plot of a Saturday morning cartoons. Um, yep. And basically, in some way, it ends the same way as Batman Forever with all three of them running towards you know running from you know the 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 bat signal and all that stuff which is very adam west at very that's yep. back to adam west Absolutely. um uma thurman's poison ivy trash i yeah all right i, I have nothing more like she's funny she makes plant puns she makes sexual jokes yeah and that's basically all there is to the character does uma thurman kill it yes but she's working with absolute trash so i agree um as i told lady freeze before i pulled the plug this is a one-woman show oh my god yep oh just so stupid um man um yeah oh, the intro with the Ununited Nations is so campy and so dumb. And, and you know the, the guy who does the um, who played Jason Woodrue is John Glover. He does the voice of the Riddler in Batman the Animated Series. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Lionel Luther in Smallville. Uh, Dr. Savannah's dad in Shazam. So he has a lineage of playing like DC roles and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, DC villains. DC villains, yeah. Uh, Bane is horrendous. Yes. Uh, he, yeah. He didn't need to be there. He like, had no... I, I think it, it had that same issue it, that people have with Amazing, sure. Amazing Spider-Man 2 and uh, and uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3, but like they they just don't... They just basically didn't care when it came to this movie pretty much. You know what I mean? Yeah, it feels like he was there to sell toys. And, you know, that's, that's basically what I get from him. Like Bane is, is there to just to, to look to look spooky and to sell action figures. Yeah, I agree. Uh the music, the score, terrible. Yep. Uh the Batman and Robin conflict. And something that I put on in this movie is that they do not take the source material the source material seriously. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And it is abominable, um, you know, and this kind of goes into my whole thing about how this franchise has been put on the loop for the longest time with, you know, you know, the, the loop as I, as we discussed, you know, previously about how, you know, you have camp your serious, darkened, camp serious, yeah. Yeah. And all that type of stuff. Uh, do you want, do you have anything to add onto it? Uh, no, I think that I, I mean, watching the movie is kind of I was I, I kept laughing and I, I, like they introduce at the beginning, Freeze has a there's a girl who's literally just there to say, Oh, you have a, you gave me the cold shoulder and nothing else. 
there's literally no reason for her to be there. She's literally just there to make one joke and to be, and then for Freeze to be like, oh, I like someone else. You could have literally just had him say that, like, be like, I love Nora. There was no reason for her to be there except for, oh, there's an attractive woman here. And, and, and this movie does this over and over and over again, where, like, why does Poison Ivy come in as a big monkey? I don't know, because it's dumb. Why does she, how did she choreograph this entire dance sequence for her entrance? No reason. She just does. And it's, I don't know. And the, you know, actually with the bad credit card, man, the bad credit card basically ruined the whole thing for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, that, that, that is a downer, to be honest with you. Um, you know, as I was writing all the bad stuff about this movie, this has to be by far like the most badly reviewed stuff I've ever put in for a movie that I've ever done, you know, so far when it comes to reviewing movies now. <laughs> and this has really, while, while writing it, it made me feel like, okay, you know, there's something really good that we can talk about here. But as we're discussing it, it feels so much of a downer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it feels that, somewhat draining. I think even saying that, I love the movie. I think that because it's such a mess, it's so entertaining. Um, that being said, <laughs> it, it, it there's so much. There's so many things that feels like they're just like, just like there was no filter. There's like fuck it, it's funny, and then and then that's basically the mentality of the entire movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, so how would you how would you rate this, uh, HN? Uh, I, I don't know, like a three. <laughs> yeah, I'd give it a three as well. If if it is for for fun reading, I give it a, I give it a ten. But for for the quality of the movie, for the writing, and for you know looking at it critically, it's, I don't I can't give it more than a three. I, I give it I I agree uh, I give it a three out of ten. This movie. Um, but you know we will of course cheer everyone everybody up when we start to review the Dark Knight trilogy next month. I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, these are very good films and I'm sure that we'll have, you know, myself, you and your brother, my son, we're going to have a really interesting conversation about these, uh, these movies and all that stuff. Um, overall, man, it's been really great, you know, talking these movies with you and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that we'll have as much fun when we, when we get to the Christopher Nolan movies, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I'm happy to be here. Of course, man. Take care, y'all. Make sure that you, of course, you know, share this video, comment, whatever, all that type of stuff. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.